ministry, and we want to follow you well. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series which is designed to help us uh, to have discerning, effective conversations in love with those who might think differently than us. Um, and uh, we're, we've been addressing five different affirmations over five weeks. Uh, we're in our fourth week now, uh, learning how to have hard conversations in love, uh, not compromising our beliefs and convictions and values as Bible-believing Christians, but trying to do our best to communicate them well. We've asked ourselves in the first sermon, are we reflecting or overcoming the division that we see in our society right now? Are we mirroring that or are we overcoming it? Um, And we said during that sermon that we remembered that Jesus prayed for our unity, right? And And that we recognize that thought is the defining factor of unity with Jesus and in his body, the church. Uh, Our first affirmation the following week was that God has all truth, uh, but we don't have a perfect understanding of it. We are human in our understanding of these things that uh, we shouldn't be afraid of having strong convictions and beliefs and values, but we've got to couple that with the humbling knowledge that we can be wrong in the murky waters of personal opinion, especially in areas of these hot topics. Uh, Our second affirmation was that uh, uh, we said that being loving is as important as being right or being correct in our theology, uh, in our thinking, right? We, we, we love truthfully and we truthfully love. And we also said that love without truth lies and truth without love kills. And uh, our third affirmation was that the spirit can create unity uh, where it once seemed that unity was impossible. He, he can overcome things in, in these very difficult conversations sometimes, these hard conversations. And today, our fourth affirmation is that we find our identity in Christ and not in all of our clutter or in our culture or in our causes. And so with that in mind, I, I'd like to point out that our memory verse for this series is Galatians 2.20, and that's actually our text for today, which says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, uh, now I live in faith uh, by the, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that, that verse, if you think about it, speaks very clearly of our identity in Christ, Identity in Christ, which is something that's very important for us to wrestle with as Christians. Um, Remember, we want to avoid intellectual laziness in our walk, right? And and our system of theological belief, believe it or not, I know a lot of people don't like that big word theology and theological and all that kind of stuff, but our theological belief is paramount to our healthy Christian life. Uh, and that is our knowledge of who God is as derived from the scriptures, right? Not derived anyplace else, but from the scriptures, right? And this knowledge uh, of Christ, of God, informs our beliefs and our decisions and our values in all the area of clutter and culture and uh, our causes in life and all that kind of stuff. And God, remember, God can't be compartmentalized out of these areas of life, Right? We don't come to church and then live our lives separately over there. Uh, As Lord, he is Lord of all of life. And our identities put forth and outlined for us in the Bible as being in Christ and nothing else, uh, which is a lifelong lesson. Uh, Therefore, primary issues 
uh, as the nature of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the nature of sin, uh, our need for salvation, that salvation is by grace through faith alone uh, in Christ, that his deity, the nature of marriage, etc., and so on and so forth, uh, all of these things inform our belief system and are clear, unchanging, and solid foundations because God is clear and unchanging and solid in his character. There's a quite a bit of solidity in the Christian life, even though the world right now doesn't feel solid, right? It, there's a quite a bit of solidity in the Christian life uh, and, uh, and, and of which the church can have unity in. And my list here, my little list that I just read is quite truncated, right? We don't have all the time in the world to go through all these things. Yet there are things in life which aren't necessarily outlined clearly in Scripture, nor should they be, Right? The Bible doesn't tell me, right, what to wear in the morning when I wake up. It's not that clear on that. What, you know, what coffee to buy or necessarily who to vote for, although it might inform that, right? How, or, or how much tip to leave my waitress at the restaurant. All those things are kind of up to me in a, in a sense. But um, Scripture may inform my thoughts and uh, to some extent in these areas, but maybe not with full clarity sometimes. And the Holy Spirit, I would remind us, is able to interject himself into these more mundane moments of life uh, as well and lead me in, in certain moments. For instance, he may prompt me to leave a greater tip for my waitress one, one morning at the restaurant because he might tell me she needs money at that you know, on that particular day more than on another day, right? Uh, that she needs an act of kindness or something like that. He may uh, give clear direction in certain areas for his purposes, for the sake of Christ's name, or for the blessing of other people around me, you know, and, and God speaks to us in those moments, right? And we and that's a lifelong upward learning curve of learning how to live in the Spirit, how to listen to the Holy Spirit as we go through about, go, go about life. But there are a lot of things that are left to our own choice because I believe that God is loving and he has gifted us with great freedom, right? I'm not like tied up, right? Some, some things are gray in life. Some, some things we can have disagreement on and it doesn't much rock the boat. It's not such a big deal. But we must remember that the Christian life's lived in open relationship with the Holy Spirit, with direction from the Scriptures, and in community with other Bible-believing Christians in our local church. So sometimes the clutter of life tempts, to, to, tempts us to define our identity by them, right? It's a pretty simple point. Clutter meaning our wealth, our belongings, things like that. You remember George Carlin called it getting more stuff. You know, you get more stuff and you you have to get a bigger house to store all your stuff, right? If you remember that whole comedy routine. And the clutter of wealth can be a sticky wicket for some Christians uh, as they sort of turn a crooked eye towards the wealthy. It's a hot topic sometimes in our day and, day and age. Problem is, where does wealth begin? Who's really wealthy? Right? Who's really wealthy? Because I don't know if you realize that the global rich list would categorize you as the top, in the top 1.23% of the richest people in the world if you make $30,000 a year in America. So you're all obscenely wealthy, most likely. Right? That's hard to believe, but it, it is true. 
I was watching a show recently uh, where a vampire woke up after like, you know, hundreds of years of sleep and he found himself talking to a woman that he planned on eating, right, um, in, in her trailer, in a trailer park. And he looked around and he said, you must be the wealthiest of the wealthy. And she's, you know, he had never seen anything so opulent as ha- having been asleep for so long. He had never seen a TV and things like that. So wealth can be relative, right? Even to vampires, right? Put a poor man in Calcutta, right, in a trailer park in, uh, in Alabama or something like that, and with an income of $24,000 a year, and that guy just won the lottery, right? To be wealthy isn't a sin. It's not. Although some feel it is, and they do their best to make others feel that way. But there are wealthy people in Scripture that even God made wealthy, believe it or not. There's no prohibition in Scripture on being wealthy, but there's direction for all of us concerning our finances, right? God promised that we would be blessed in order to be a blessing to all the people groups of the earth. That His blessing, even in financial ways, is for a reason. That our wealth isn't just for us to enjoy ourselves, although we can, but to, it, it is there to further the message of the kingdom of God to the nations of the world, to bless others. We are, so we are called to give our tithe regularly to the local church, 10% being our loose goal, right? To be generous. We're, we're called to care for the poor in, in different ways. We're, we're called not to be hoarders you know, of, of, of things to, and to put our trust on our wealth, our identity in wealth. So if I'm able to buy an expensive car, there's not really anything wrong with that, but I would want the Scriptures to inform that decision, and, and I'd also want to seek the Holy Spirit in that decision to make sure that I'm not buying that car to bolster some sort of false identity for myself, right? That's just being a mature Christian. The clutter of life, our wealth and our belongings and all that stuff do not define our identity. Jesus does, right? Pretty simple point. And we've got to be careful in this life not to not only hold on to these things lightly uh, due to their temptations towards our identity, but also of our opinion of others as they walk throughout life in these things as well. Sometimes we are tempted to make culture our identity, things of culture, to define ourselves by maybe what's popular out there, the current vein of thought out there, the, the worldview of our time and our culture. And our personal connection to Scripture and to the Spirit of God and to church will become vastly important as we navigate the currents of culture. It's very, very important right now. It always is, really. But the Western individualistic worldview, which uh, deifies the self, makes me the most important thing in the world, or drives me to vilify others, or not to call other people to repentance in Christ, is often very contrary to the biblical worldview, which unifies us under Jesus, and and sets us in unity towards his glory, towards his mission in the world, towards building the kingdom of God, and not my own kingdom, right? We, we don't need to spend more time on that stuff. It's, it's a large subject, and we've preached on it quite often at 6-8. You might even be tired of hearing that kind of stuff. But suffice it to say that we're responsible to take every thought captive to Christ 
and make it obedient to him. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take every thought captive to Christ and make it obedient to him. You know, letting him, letting Jesus define our worldview through scripture, through spirit, and through unity in the church on these things. Which brings us to our last category, and that is cause. We have a lot of causes out there these days. And let's save ourselves the headache of rehashing the difficult topics, and let's just ask ourselves a few questions. How does God's created order and the directors of Scripture define our views on sexual or human sexuality? Do we let God define that or not? Do we let culture define it or God define it? Just a question. Don't get all mad at me. How does the just character of God and his nature of grace define our views on poverty and justice? Do we let him define that? You may think that you're letting him define it, it, but you may not be right. Have you really explored it with God? Can we align ourselves with those who preach a liberation theology which teaches that the gospel comes only to people when systematic sin is dealt with, but it never addresses the personal sin uh, of, of marginalized people? Can we align ourselves with such a theology? I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure the church can. Can we align ourselves with movements which preach hate towards other groups or that lead people farther away from the truth? I don't think that we can. Can we align ourselves with movements which take the lives of the innocent even before they are born? I'm not sure that we can. Can we as Christians ravage our planet without the thought or care of being good stewards of God's creation? I don't think that we can. Those are big questions, huge questions. Each one of those questions would take you a long time to think on and to pray about and explore in the scriptures. And they take a lot of thought. But everything must be weighed against scripture. Everything must be weighed against scripture for the Christian. The gospel doesn't afford us the luxury of intellectual laziness. We are thinking Christians, right? Aligning ourselves with a Christian biblical worldview, even when that is a very unpopular thing to do in our culture. Even then. It's hard, and I get it, right? The truth of the matter is that no matter how we vote, we are most likely prostituting our convictions to some degree since we live in a world of tension where, uh, where, uh, that's not fully given over to Christ of, as of yet. Not everybody out there is following Jesus. We are stuck in imperfect systems. So we do our best. We pray. We act our best. We, we exercise caution in how we estimate the actions and the thoughts of others in that whole process as well. It's hard to live right now in some of these issues. The bottom line is that our identity, I'm not talking about everybody out there right now, I'm speaking to you as a believer, right? Our identity isn't in clutter or, or culture or cause. It's not. We live in tension, looking always to find our identity in Jesus and striving for unity of thought as we come into agreement with him in the church. We want to walk with him well together as a body. 
So there are absolutes and there are clear convictions we must be in obedience to in our belief system as Christians. To find our identity in Christ involves our belief systems concerning who He is as the Scriptures define Him. And that's a big order. But we all hold to these various beliefs which may be right or may be wrong, you know, in certain areas. We may be, uh, or they may be gray areas where, you know, we have to really think about or they may be areas that even morph in how we respond to them in different situations and in changing times. We're all learning as we walk along. This is a journey of faith. So, I have been crucified with Christ. Listen to that. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Praise God. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. But what the heck does that mean? Right? What does that mean? When you read that, it's almost as if you must resign yourself to the loss of self. Right? That I cease to be and Christ takes me over. Paul, sometimes when he writes, is very clear, and at other times he's very confusing and philosophic. Read Romans chapter 8. You're like, what in the world? Right? You may have to sit and you may have to meditate on his words to gain understanding. That's why our quiet times and our life in the scriptures is very important. If you took this verse just by itself, you know, it may seem that I cease to exist and that Jesus takes over, but we have to read scripture in light of scripture. We have to read Scripture in light of Scripture. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, a a favorite passage. Ephesians chapter 2, page 799 in your church Bibles, if you're using that. Page 799, Ephesians 2. Verses 1 and 2 outline this for us. This says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan, right? The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. God's word to us, right? It's a truth about us. All of us, all of us before Christ were at one point disobedient by nature to God. All of humankind out there is by nature disobedient to God before Jesus comes into their life. And that levels the playing field. I'm no better than anybody else. They're no better than me. We all need him. But he continues in verses 4 and 5. He says, but because of his great love for us, amen, right? God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Then in verses 8 and 9, you know the verse, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. God, bless God, (laughs) right? Like, thank you, thank you. The point is, our position with, with Jesus is one of great gratitude, great gratitude, and that we find our true self in Jesus, it's one of recognizing, right, that we, the work of salvation in us is only due to Jesus' work, his love, his, his work of atonement in our lives. 
his work on the cross. And we did nothing for it. And it's by grace and mercy that we find ourselves even saved. To, be, to say that I'm saved is not an arrogant statement. It's, it's, it's a humbling statement. Even our spiritual formation after Jesus and ongoing in our lives over, over time is the work of the Word and the Spirit in us, in our lives, in the context of a church community, in context of us bumping up against other Christians. Our sinful self has been crucified. And in that sense, we no longer live but praise God for that. But, but we've also been raised to life in Christ as well. He has promised to live within us in our bodily life as he does his life-changing work in us, forming and shaping our biblical worldview, making us to come into alignment with him and his views of the world. And sometimes we find ourselves wrong. We are, we are wrong sometimes. And, and, and when we have to readjust our thinking and we have to readjust how we live or our actions to be in line with his. That's just true. Remember last week, some, some of those guys in Acts 15 lost that argument and they should have. It was that important for the church. It was that important for humanity that they lost that argument. And they had to augment their thinking and they had to augment their practice. There's nothing wrong with that. I've had to do it. There's encouragement in this journey of faith found in Philippians 1.6. You don't have to turn there. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, Christ who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. I am in process. 2 Corinthians 5.17 also reminds us, in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. I will be completed over time. The problem is that we live in the already, the not yet, right? The, The kingdom has already come, but it's not yet fully come, right? The problem is that we live in community right, you know, in the center of all this clutter and and culture and cause, which vie for our attention and bring tension with others. We know it. We bump up against other people's belief systems, faulty or right, and it creates tension. And this is where humility that we've spoken of in past sermons comes in, that we do our utmost to live out of a proper biblical worldview, uh, our biblical convictions and beliefs and values, as faithful, faithful followers of Jesus, understanding, understanding that we can be wrong in our opinions on certain issues at times. We can. Yet we still, in that, can hold on to the solidity of Christ as we know him and we come to know him even more intimately over time. In the midst of all this clutter and culture and cause of life, we need direction. Since they bring about hard conversations with other people, and that's what our whole series is about. Several years ago, researchers from Harvard University did some investigations into the nature of difficult conversations and and how they can be done well. And they concluded that in most difficult conversations, there are two potential dead ends. The first being that is to get stuck on the question of what happened. 
right? Difficult question to answer when, when things are hard. It turns out that people simply can't agree on the, the answer to that question, particularly when their emotions are really high in a certain situation. You've all been there. Oftentimes, two sides of an issue are so dead set on what the facts are that they that trying to resolve this basic question itself can bring up more tension and be, be fruitless. Most often, there are underlying fears in people or, uh, or other feelings uh, which drive our, our interactions, which have little to do with the facts at hand. You ever feel that in a, in a conversation? It just doesn't seem logical. Sometimes we, you know, someone may feel like when we're, when we're having a difficult conversation with them that they're not being heard or they're, they're not being respected or, or their words or your words or your demeanor or, or, or the issue at hand are, is wrong or your, the issue at hand may be digging up past negative experiences in them. Uh, they may be reacting out of all that and they may not even realize it. It's hard to walk through this stuff sometimes. The second dead end is to try to convince the other party of our good intention while simultaneously uh, distrusting their intentions. But let me put a caveat there. Some people do not have good intention. This is where wisdom comes in, right? Not everybody has good intention when they're going at something. But a lot of the times they do, right? It turns out that intentions are very difficult to speak about together, right? If, if someone is offended by what I've said, it doesn't much do, do much good for me to try to convince them that I didn't mean to offend. It's, if, if someone felt my words are cold and unfeeling, it doesn't much do much help to convince them that I didn't intend for that to happen. Perception is often reality for a person, right? How they perceive it is their reality. And it's often helpful to remember that many times people do have good intention, right? Even if they might be faulty in their reasoning. The conclusions of this research bear remarkable similarity to the key tenets of the New Testament. The key to moving forward, for the Christian in thinking through this, the key to moving forward in difficult, hard conversations is to find my identity in Christ independent of what others might say or do to me or even what they think of me. Give up your pride. And what that does for us in these conversations is to eradicate fear or the need to prove myself the need to win the argument, or even to guard my rights. It also gives me love for that person going beyond the issue as one of God's created people of this earth and and that God loves them. Even if I feel accused or attacked or misunderstood, um, the other person's opinion of me doesn't shape my identity. Christ does. Christ shapes my identity. And if I believe this other person's, you know, deeply misguided and deeply deceived even, right? I still believe that they are made in the image of God and they are loved by Christ. And starting from this foundation, many of the most difficult conversations can can move forward in unexpected ways. Not always, but sometimes, right? And we can speak on on issues much better when the heat has dissipated. 
when we can say that we don't have to win the argument, right? And, and, and that the Holy Spirit convicts hearts through the Scriptures, not me. That's not my job. It's His job. Most of the time, we argue from our position instead of trying to lead out of God's grace and God's word and, and a posture of prayer for both ourselves and that other person. We forget that it's promised to us in Scripture. As believers, as children of God, it is promised to us in Scripture that if we lack wisdom in a situation, we can pray for it and God will give it in the moment. He will give us the words in the moment. But even with all that, all that direction, we still say this is personal, right? These conversations are not hypothetical to me, right? I am feeling attacked. I am feeling misheard. I'm anxious about where this all leads. I feel these things. First, we need to know our limits, right? We all have a capacity for how much difficult conversation that we could handle in a moment. We really do. There are times when it's healthy simply to do our best to walk away from a situation. It doesn't mean the other side wins. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that we're weak. It simply means that we recognize that we have limits and we don't want to get to the point of anger where we hurt more. Some good practices in difficult conversations are simply to acknowledge that we are speaking about heart issues, not necessarily about logic. And heart issues don't seem to make sense sometimes. Convictions are deeply held at the worldview levels of the soul, right? If we can say to the other person, I know that you hold your belief very strongly and I I respect that that statement will go a long way, even if you disagree with it, with what they're saying. So maybe we ask more questions and we make less statements ourselves to understand where that other heart is positioned. Convictions, whether faulty or correct, aren't usually surfacey things. We've got to understand that. They're interwoven in our psyche, in our belief systems, in our soul, in our worldview. They're often a result of years of cultural conditioning and, or negative or positive experiences and possibly even from errant ideas that we've been taught or we've learned over, this, over the years. They're difficult to change from one simple argument. It's not going to change like that. We must rely on prayer. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to both of us as we explore a difficult issue together. And at times we need to know our limit of communication on an issue and to simply say, can we take a break? Can we take this up at a later time? Because I'm feeling like this really isn't productive right now. And you know what? I really want to do this well with you. I want to love you well in this. Knowing and realizing that God is working in them as well, just as he is in, he's working in us. Oftentimes, someone may see truth, but they may not want to admit it to you because you've been the, <laughs> you've been the problem in their life, right? You ever feel like that? Well, I, I, I told him I didn't believe that, but I do. I just didn't want him to know, right? You ever feel like that? We do that. It's craziness, right? 
They may see truth, but they may not want to admit it to you. They may need somebody else to come on in their life. God might bring in another person to lead them through things. And, and, and that you may not even be part of that picture. Or they may need some other circumstance to happen to soften their position to bring about personal conviction and confession in a certain area. And that may happen years down the road in a person's life, even after you've never seen them for a long time. Continue to pray for them. Second, we need to uh, we we need people uh, which would love you know lovingly support us, right? And that's not that doesn't mean we should surround ourselves with just yes people, people that just tell us what we want to hear, right? That agree with us and say they're they're wrong. I, there's a great comedian, uh, Mike Birbiglia, you know. He, He's, he's fighting with his, about his girlfriend, you know, he's telling his friend about his girlfriend and he's like, "Ah, he's the best friend because he says, yeah, she's terrible, you know, like she wasn't terrible, she wasn't wrong, but you know, his friend agrees with him and makes him feel good, right, but it doesn't really help. It means finding people that will pray for us or pray for our hurts and, and empathize with our anxiety and, and pray for us in faith and love as we walk through difficult things. Thirdly, we can identify with Christ's humanity. We've got to remember his humanity, right? He was often misunderstood. He was often persecuted. He found himself in emotions ranging from anger to sadness to exhaustion, sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can't be more exhausted than that, more stressed out than that. We won't... uh, walk through this life none of us will walk through this life without feeling the full range of all those emotions of all human emotion pastors feel them too sometimes people say jason you seem angry when you're preaching and i say yeah i am (laughs) i have to be honest sometimes we get upset are we allowed to be Are you allowed to be? Yeah, we're allowed to be. We have to walk through these emotions. We try in maturity not to throw that up on people. We try. I try. Sometimes it peeps out, right? Forgive me when it does. It's normal. It's part of what it means to be a human follower of Christ. It's part of why I can identify with Jesus, because of his humanity. Our identities in Christ, even in light of all the clutter and the culture and the causes out there which press for our attention so strongly that's why spiritual formation is so so important in your life and as we spirit we are spiritually formed in jesus through the scripture through the spirit and through the church we must willingly submit ourselves to that process sometimes we don't Sometimes some of us know the scriptures about as well as we know an old 70s song. Everybody is kung fu fighting. Fast as lightning. And that's all you know, right? That's all you know. Right? I mean, honestly, it's like, goodness. Why, why do you think we do things like this? Why do you think we do things like this? Right? Lindley had a great idea that I think we're probably going to adopt is to have a series where we're all reading through the scriptures together chronologically. Amen to that, right? Lindley, Lindley always comes up with these wonderful ideas. Jeez. I have to, and then I have to get her credit. And I don't like to give her credit because I want to say that I came up with the idea, but I didn't, right? I have no idea where I'm in my sermon. Um, 
But we, have to, we do have to willingly submit to that process. We have to adjust our thinking sometimes to find unity with other believers in Christ because thought is the defining factor of unity and identity in Jesus and with the church. It really is. So let's end by repeating our memory verse together. We usually do this in the beginning. Let's do it this at the end. Uh, Galatians 2.20 should be up on the screen there. And one, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And my prayer for you today is that you continually deepen and and widen your understanding of your identity in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us as we bring the tithe. Let me just say that uh, we're, we're going to pass the tithe boxes and right after I pray. And if you are new here visiting us, don't feel at all obligated to stick anything in there unless the Lord leads you to do so. You should be obedient to him, but you don't have to be obedient to me. And uh, there are other ways to give up on the screen. Um, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you. We thank you for Ephesians chapter 2. We thank you for Galatians 2.20. We thank you for our position. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. And Father, it is hard to walk right now in life. And we want to do it really well. And sometimes we see opinions and strong uh, views being expressed so strongly that it's tearing people apart, families apart, friendships apart, sometimes even churches apart. Father, bless us with that weird ability to stand on your truth, but understand that we need to be humble at the same time. We love you so much. We want to walk with you well. We don't want to be arrogant people. We want to be people of the kingdom. We want to be people that are totally enthralled with who you are and where you're taking us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.